this episode has spoilers about the wonderful film May December so check the timestamps in the show notes if you want to avoid that and also major spoilers about traitors but from the seventh episode yeah so if you've not already watched the seventh episode which was last Wednesday then I don't consider you to be a true traitors fan and therefore this is complete courtesy that I'm telling you there's a spoiler <laughs> enjoy Welcome to The Listen, a podcast by me, Charlie Perry. And me, Abby Gibson. Each week we share our observations and over-analysis from pop culture, current affairs and our own lives. Welcome back! (laughs) The way you said that was so funny. It's completely fake. (laughs) Are you okay, Charlie? I am. I've had a very hectic day, to be honest. Podcast production is... um can be really quite taxing at times which might not seem it especially with the fact that I'm getting stressed about our video clips and I'm sat in my pajama bottoms because I've been running around London getting taxis for hours with a load of kit that I can't carry on my own and I just want to sit in my in my pajama bottoms so well that's what we're doing as is your right but yeah you're so right I think podcast production seems very simple and sometimes it is but a lot of the time it isn't I would say most big podcasts it's not just a case of coming in and recording and putting it out there don't we wish it was I mean it's a very fiddly and time-consuming business but I love it and so it's worth it but basically what we've been doing is just kind of make this podcast the best it can be so thank you and hello to everybody who's listened for the first kind of few weeks you honestly have no idea how excited we get when we see we've had a little bit of growth week on week but it's also a trial and test period for us and we're doing everything we can do to make it as amazing as possible and one of those things which maybe you don't think about when you listen to podcasts is this is a very timely by its nature podcast and so we're going to try and record on Thursdays now to get them out on the Tuesday which means that what we'll be talking about won't be caveated with while you're listening to this we've just seen that Diane's been knocked out of the traitors and if you didn't know that spoiler (laughs) you're a week you're an entire week behind so that's your fault (laughs) well I've got something that might cheer you up Charlie last week we spoke about nannies and how difficult childcare is for women in the UK yeah and someone messaged me Dan's cousin's wife actually Dan being my husband and she absolutely loved the episode and she sent me a very long response to it including which I think I'll include in the show notes an article that she was interviewed for from the observer titled working mothers in the UK twice as likely as fathers to consider quitting job over childcare costs and she was quoted about that she's got two little ones who are gorgeous by the way um last weekend I spent most of Sunday holding little Freya who's eight months old on my lap and it was the best day ever is this the family member of Dan's who you were like I want to have kids because I know a child Yes. And they are so well behaved, but I just know that my kids will never be like that. I want those children. I specifically want that child. (laughs) Yes. Robin, if you're listening, I love your children. Not that you didn't already know that, but I'll link the article in the show notes because I think it's a really interesting extension to what we were talking about last week. And especially from the point of view of people actually have children, you know, obviously we don't have kids, but it's like, I feel like we've managed to achieve a good understanding of just how fraught is essentially. No, I agree. And I actually had a nanny message me and I actually started speaking with her on TikTok because she was the girl, Samantha, who had 
the TikTok page where she basically would review all of her dates, her and her housemates' yes, dates. I've and, seen it. It's so oh, good. It was fucking iconic, to be honest. And then her page like completely disappeared. So I made a TikTok being like, where have my girls where gone? Where is she? <laughs> Come she back. Came back. She came back, but she found me on Instagram because her, her basically oh. my TikTok got to her. And then she found me on Instagram and messaged me. And then she saw the clip and she was like, I'm a nanny. So she's been a nanny for a few years and we never kind of got into like in-depth about it because I suppose from her point of view, she is the nanny. But yeah, it was mm. it was like a really interesting conversation that she's just like a normal person. A lot of people have nannies. I think more people have nannies than the majority of people know if that makes sense. It's way more commonplace than mm. um, just celebrities or like ultra successful people. And may I also add that a lot of the time, like these aren't single mothers. These are people in relationships. And so let's oh, yeah. just take a minute to say that the dad has a nanny as well. <laughs> it's not just that the mom having so a nanny. That is so true. That is so, so true. Hold up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting conversation. I'm really glad that people enjoyed it. So yeah. keep letting us know about it. Charlie, I've got a quick TV wreck before we get in. Right, well, I've still not seen Saltburn, so... <laughs> Just don't even talk to I'll me. I'm not even going to. Not even going to bring it up with you anymore. We're over <laughs> Saltburn. <laughs> Everyone's over it. Saltburn's over. It's a very wholesome comedy on Channel Four called Big Boys. Have you seen it? Have you heard of it? Somebody's mentioned it, but it could have just been me seeing it in your notes. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> like Candidly. I've seen this somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> what year did you go to uni? This is relevant. 2011. Perfect. So oh, Big Boys, I feel like I belong. Big Boys is the for transparency. I went in 2015, but I had a couple of years out. I'm not that much younger than Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> She's like making a face for me. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, wait, I literally hired you, and I didn't even know. <laughs> it wasn't important. She didn't even take references, guys. <laughs> um, so Big Boys is a kind of like semi autobiographical comedy by a man called Jack Rook about when he went to uni, he was still in the closet. And basically when he went to uni, it was when he could like kind of fully be himself for oh the my first God. time. This is what happened to my cousin. My cousin did exactly that. Really? Yeah. The thing I love about it is that the comedy and the references are just so of when we were like elder teenagers or like oh, at uni. Like love. they're literally referencing like watching the X Factor live shows and how it was an injustice that Gamu didn't get through to the live shows. And I was like, oh my God, I remember Gamu. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> Gamu. Let me just Google Gamu. <laughs> All the best Gamu. <laughs> she's got an entire Wikipedia page. Yeah, because she's amazing. She ditched fame for a low-key life in London with her music shop work husband, Jamie, whom she married in 2017. Good for her. Well, anyway, this isn't about Gamu. That was just Sorry. like a, a, an example of a reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like he describes his mum as like exactly the intersection between Pam from Gavin and Stacey and Gwen from Gavin and Stacey. So essentially he has the best TV mum ever. Right. But anyway, the second season has just started and it is just so wholesome. It's really, really funny. If you went to uni in the early like 2010s, it will give you a weird nostalgia that you never thought you could feel about like going out into the SU and like living in halls. Like I didn't think oh, you could feel nostalgic about yeah. that. And I was like, oh my God, this is weirdly making me miss being a dirty fresher. <laughs> you know what? I think I'm one of the very few people that does, I don't look back on my uni experience and think I absolutely love that. I want to go back. I actually mm. think I actually feel anxious 
when I think about uni. Yeah, have a watch and see how it makes you feel because I do think it highlights the kind of fun and freedom that you had. Like you truly... That level of freedom that you had at uni. No, I didn't have any. Why? Because I had to work. The only nights I could go out was a Thursday because I had to work on a Tuesday. Oh my God. I couldn't do anything. I think that's probably why I didn't enjoy uni that much. My parents were just like, no, we're not paying for anything. Like you've got to do it on your own. And I was like- Oh, that sucks. I was like, okay then. Guess who didn't though? My little brother. Oh, let's not get (laughs) into that here. Let's Let's not. Yes, I will. I will watch that at some point in my life, Abby. Thank you for the recommendation. You're welcome. <laughs> Pulling together everything for today's script to let you in on the production, our beloved listener, Abby and I now just give each other the very top line of what we have been consuming, thinking about, doing, overanalyzing, <laughs> observing, you know, does what it says on the tin. A lot of the time, it's just kind of passing thoughts that we have or things that have happened. And I realized that the last week has been really intense for me because no exaggeration, half past five alarm, like do my quick morning routine, sitting at my desk, getting stuff done until like literally having a dinner break and then going to bed at 10 o'clock so that I can get up the next day and do the same thing. Mm. This is not a toxic mentality that I want to spread because this is a very short snap of what I need to do right now this is not how I normally work but it's made me really angry because what I've been doing is essentially a bit of a dive into women in podcasting and I do think that when I have decided to switch off whereby I've had to get on a tube to do a quick commute I've been reading a, my, a book that I referenced last week which was the Sheryl Sandberg Lean In. Funnily enough the radio woke me up this morning and it was headline news that she's actually stepped down as like a member of the board of Facebook which I love that that's headline news to be honest because mm. like she is an incredibly powerful woman and the book is all about kind of women in leadership but I felt really angry the last week because I've consumed a lot of studies about women in society, women's content, women in podcasting for the purposes of a deck that I'm creating. And I've never really realized something before until today. And you know, when like you get signs from the universe about something and you just like, it's so clear to me now, everything makes sense. And And it's actually just really pissed me off. But then I realized just before we started recording that. I'm about to start my period. So take all of this with uh, a pinch of salt. But that's uh, that's you... actually part of the thing. That should have been the reveal right at the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> and she's on day one. <laughs> Plot twist. I actually do think it's very relevant to what I'm going to say because the first things first, I was trying to explain in my deck why women aren't in the charts in podcasting. If you go and look at the charts right now, the majority of women, which will probably be two or three, will be on a podcast that is in the top 10 charts across the UK and they will be alongside their husband. Generally speaking, one of the top podcasts is Desert Island Discs. That tends to be kind of doing the rounds a lot. And that's obviously a BBC podcasted hosted by a woman. However, the other two top ones are Therapy Crouch and Shag Married Annoyed. I've got the charts up right now. Oh God, go on. Put us all into our fucking misery. Number one, man. Number two, two men. Number three, man. Number four, two men. Number five, man and woman. The rest is entertainment. Number six, news agents. One woman, two men. Number seven, man. Number eight, man. Number nine, Therapy Crouch. Number 10, two men. 
Literally. I don't even have to add to that point. No, it, it is genuinely always like this. You will be listening to this a few days after we've posted. Go and have a look at the charts and it'll probably oh, it'll be, be the same. similar. Yeah. The charts change. Literally hourly, they can change. And it's just mm-hmm. always like that. Yeah. And the, the, the point I was making was that Apple had released their top podcasts of 2023. And out of the 17 hosts in the top 10 podcasts in the UK last year, there were four women one of which was Abby Clancy with Peter Crouch, one of which was Rosie Ramsey. Then it was Emily Maitlis from the News Agents, and the fourth was Lauren Laverne hosting Desert Island Discs. Yeah. And and the thing is like, yeah, we can point that out, but I need to back that up. I can't just like make mm. unst- unsubstantiated claims in this deck. So what do I do? I go find the research. I read a lot of papers, articles, studies. Like there's always podcasting roundups. And the thing that really got under my skin and has really annoyed me is that the reason for that, and I've not actually shared this deck with you, but you will see it. And I've not shared this stat with you because I wanted to talk about it here. What I failed to notice was that women will consume content made by a man. Men Mm. will not consume content that is made by a woman. That is the problem. Oh my God. And when it, oh when, you, when you see that, everything becomes crystal clear. Literally everything. And the reason why is because historically, men have been the most visible gender across really traditional media channels. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about like TV, radio, literature, maybe to a degree, but not as much so I would say. But the main thing is that women have never really had a choice but to consume content that is fronted by a man. So we just don't even think twice about it. Mm. But then when you actually are fronted with a woman or female literature, which I'm going to read a quote from Dolly Alderton in a minute, you realize very, very quickly that men do not consume content for women. And one thing that I was like immensely proud of, and actually, again, it made everything really clear to me that when I was dating my now boyfriend, he had said to me, oh, I've been listening to this really cool podcast. It's called 28-ish Days Later. And I remember saying to you, oh my God, this guy I'm dating is like listening to this podcast, which if you don't know what that is, it's a podcast about the uh, woman's the menstrual cycle, cycle yeah. and what happens on each day or generally what's happening around that time. And so for a man to just go out of his way and consume that, I, I remember having a conversation with him and saying like, why are you listening to that? Even I found it weird. So yeah. not only do men not do it, but women find it weird when men consume it. Not weird in a in a bad way. I mean, odd no, in it's, a good you, way. You're, you're shocked. You're like, Major oh, green flag. You've, You've listened to this without your partner making you. Yeah. And then he was the one that recommended 28 Dates Later, which is a completely different podcast. (laughs) But he then listened to that and it's Grace Campbell's podcast where she basically goes on 28 Dates and it's hosted by her. And it's very funny. It's a brilliant podcast if you've not yet listened to it. Yeah. But it was Paul that recommended it to me again. And it was a massive green flag. And I couldn't put my finger at the time on why it was a green flag. And now I now understand all of this. Yeah. I'm like, well, obviously that was a green flag because he was as a straight white man consuming content that was not made for him and one that's a really good thing but I just want to really quickly read this quote from Dolly Alderton when she was speaking about her award-winning memoir Everything I Know About Love she's obviously written and published other books since then but this quote everything I know about love was marketed perceived and received as something incredibly niche by dint of my gender yet a female experience is not a niche experience it's a universal common interest and I was like that makes everything make perfect sense yeah because it really does and and the thing is is that, that I'm actually going to go on to another point later in the podcast today just even further backs this up about Nancy Myers 
so anyway, this happened. I read these studies. I was making this deck. All of this has come off the back of me having not consumed anything but the traitors for the past week. I'm also <laughs> in my spare time on the tube reading Cheryl Sandberg's book. And I'm aware that I'm kind of filling my brain with like female focused stuff. But then mm. this morning, I just wanted to tell you about this study that Cheryl has referenced in the book. And it's called the Heidi Howard test. This is what she's written. They started with a Harvard Business School case study about a real-life entrepreneur named Heidi Roizen. The case described how Roizen became a successful venture capitalist by using her outgoing personality and vast personal and professional network that included many of the most powerful business leaders in the technology sector. So two university professors had taken this case study and they'd given it out to like half of their class with the name Heidi and half of the class with Howard. And the response was that the achievements of this person, even though they were Heidi's factually, they mm. were deemed to be way more impressive when it said Howard than it was with Heidi. Basically, what she's writing is that most people have never even heard of this study, but it's the idea that there's no way that we can ever consume anything that is achieved or done or made for or by a woman or women. <laughs> that we'd actually take seriously. I'm mad that one, I've only just realized it and two, that there, it feels like there isn't anything we can do about it. And there is, there most definitely is. But mm. what I want to say is when you see, if you've really enjoyed a podcast or a book or whatever it is that is made by a woman or it's made for women, I cannot stress enough how important it is that you like share it and you tell people about it and you like shout it from the rooftops because the only people that are paying attention to this stuff are women. And that means that that's yeah. just over half of the population. 51% of, of the population in the UK is, is female. Yeah. So obviously we are the majority. But if, if a couple go and make a podcast or a man makes a podcast, 100% of the UK would likely listen to it. But if a woman makes it, 51% would. So it's really important that we get behind it. And then linking this to what we're going to talk about later, Nancy Myers has done an incredible interview on a podcast that I listened to. It came out on Tuesday and I've just listened to it. And it, she just reiterates exactly the same thing. And I probably would have listened to this weeks ago thinking like, oh yeah, whatever. Like we love your interiors. And she's like, I hate it when people say that. Like I'm a film director. Do you not see mm. that you would never make any comment like that on a man's film? And I know we're going to go into it because it's also so coincidental with what you want to talk about today, yeah, which I completely yeah. agree with. But like everything is so clear to me. I just want to communicate it and express it and just make everybody abundantly aware that the system is fucked. And, we, and I just had no idea until literally this week. Yeah, no, that is so mental and so much like food for thought because obviously yeah. everything that like we do at Astrid in terms of like making podcasts and our goals is to serve a female identifying audience because mm -hmm. they are so massively underserved and do you know what this is why women are so bloody brilliant because they don't fucking judge consuming something based off who who's made yeah. it I love stuff when I know it's fucking good I don't yeah. care who's made it unless they're like no. a Nazi or something. I'm not going yeah. to support something <laughs> like that. It really pisses me off when something is immediately considered like trashy or rubbish because it's clearly obviously for women. Take yeah. every noughties, nineties rom-com that are genuinely 
excellent films, some of my favorite films. Take Clueless, for example. That's literally an adaptation of Emma by Jane Austen, who which was also bloody written by a woman. Yeah. And it is genuinely an excellent film. Anything by Nancy Myers, excellent. Anything by Nora Ephron. Nora Ephron is my literal queen. When Harry Met Sally is the best film of all time. Like it genuinely, genuinely is excellent. It is yeah. faultless. However, do men need convincing to watch When Harry Met Sally? You bet their ass they do. Yeah, they do. But but it's also, I, I'm going to say, it's not their fault. The reason why we're able to just consume content made by men, it's not like they're the same. But they just don't think about it the other way because mm. they can relate to the the person on the screen or the person on the radio station so much easier or on the podcast, on wherever. It's so ingrained into society. Like I was just thinking then when you were talking, what books did you study at school? I did Of Mice and Men, which is male. Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. We did Frankenstein, you know, which is cool. Mary Shelley. We never did that. That was a really good one because obviously Mary Shelley's so, what an incredible trailblazer for female yeah authors and like all of the yeah austin's and bronte sisters yeah yeah exactly the last thing i do want to say on this is i know a few weeks ago i was saying that i don't want young women to hear stereotypical feminist information and then start to think like they've not formed their own opinion of it i can't remember Mm. what it was in relation to but then funnily enough cheryl the absolute fucking queen that she is described it literally the day after we recorded it it's called a stereotype threat so It's a social, this is, Cheryl says, uh, the the problem is a social psychological phenomenon called stereotype threat. Social scientists have observed that when members of a group are made aware of a negative stereotype, they are more likely to perform according to that stereotype. So Mm. it's kind of either both men and women, but a lot of the time, like men are attributed to like more successful traits, for example, or are viewed in a slightly different way. So that's why I'm angry today. And I have been for the past week and I'm really frustrated, but I'm just so driven to like actually make a difference with it. And like you said earlier, make podcasts for women. Uh, But that's not originally what we want to talk about because you had mentioned my favorite film in the whole entire world (laughs) in the notes. And you sent me an article that I truly loved reading but I'll hand it over to you. Send me that interview with Nancy Myers. I'd really, really love to listen to it. And I would like to put it out there that Nancy, I love everything that you do and your interiors. I'd like <laughs> to caveat that. It's not the only thing Same. I care about. However, when I you do, it. girl, you're doing it well. <laughs> yeah. You do it, the, you're the best at it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So there was a article in the Financial Times property listings section of the website which I didn't know was a thing oh god it's brilliant if you don't know it go look at it I'm into it now and basically it is written by Eliza Goodpasture and it is titled fantasy home a culture clash at the heart of the parent trap so as Charlie said it's one of her favorite films it's really up there with me I recently hosted a parent trap themed hen do for one of my best friends she was in a cabin guys she was in a cabin it was everything. It was such a fun time. <laughs> we'll link this article in the show notes. And um, Nancy shared it on her Instagram stories and that's how it came to my attention. Oh. Eliza is American and um, she moved to England five years ago. And so therefore the parent trap and the homes within it, she really resonates with both sides of it because she loves both sides of that world. She yeah. loves the gorgeous English house with all its like 
books and knickknacks and plush furniture and the granddad in tweed but then you also have the california bloody mansion with chessy cooking bolognese and the huge windows and the pool outside and i was like she articulated so much of what i love about that film because i totally agree because when you really look at it, and we, we, we will have to do a whole episode dedicated to The Parent Trap one oh day. Oh my God, we have to. Because it's just too good. What I really loved is how she related to it about her, like her transatlantic journey of obviously like the both sides of the pond and what a comfort it was to her it's not even that long of an article it no, just it's like, really short it's super short and eliza if you're listening write more <laughs> honestly it was so great i remember being a kid and being like who would i rather be annie yeah. or Hallie? and i remember being like the actual thing swaying it for me was the house mm. <laughs> like which house would i prefer to live in like i'd have a fucking choice and like i would ever <laughs> be able to live in a house well I will be able to live in a house like that one day, even though I think the the house that was shot in the UK last sold for 16 million. It's on Montpellier Square. Elizabeth James. Elizabeth James. How much James. do those wedding dresses cost? <laughs> a lot of money, darling. <laughs> RIP, Natasha. Which house did you go for then? I ended up always choosing the house in London when I was 10. <laughs> really? Because, and you know what? That film has absolutely impacted my life which is what I was wanting to talk to about Nancy and Myers before I listened to this interview of hers this morning because Mm. I've joked about it before on the podcast where I've been like I don't have a personality or I've realized that my personality is literally Nancy Myers (laughs) Nancy Myers films but the the house that I was always drawn to was Elizabeth James's house and I now have a complete obsession with staircases And my forever home will have a staircase that has a curved dark wood banister. Yes. And it's, it's just goes, I don't even know what the stairs are called, but they go up and then they come back on themselves. Yeah. And it's just got a curved banister. You got a stair runner. So in our house, we live in like an Edwardian terrace and it's all like hard floors, Mm -hmm. except for we have carpet on the stairs and the landing. And I think every couple of days, Dan is like, I'm going to rip gonna rip that carpet out no (laughs) no and then get like a gorgeous stair runner okay yes dan go off yeah i know and it's so (laughs) funny because i'm very much the one who has this like i don't know what you would how you describe my interior style it's very just like british i think i heard it is i think i think it is just british british i think it's just (laughs) i think your interior style is earthy in color and you go for things that you really like whether they're cute or ornate or colorful or classic exactly yeah you bring it together that's yeah and I to be honest and that's why I do I think I like resonate with like the Nancy Myers interiors there's also a great account called Nora Ephron interiors which I love like the clutter of a home yeah and I think that's why I would lean a bit more towards the British house in Elizabeth James's house yeah. because a, a British home in that design has like the perfect amount of clutter and like yeah. lived owned objects. Yeah, I actually prepared a list of what I interpreted Nancy Meyer's interiors to be, but then I listened to this podcast episode where she says that she, how much she hates people doing that and I was like, <laughs> okay, but I made the list anyway, so I'll share it. <laughs> 
I, oh, I, I was actually inspired to do this because I listened last weekend to the Life and Arts podcast by Financial Times. It's mm. it's really good. Like, please don't judge the Financial Times on like who actually reads that because the journalism in it is phenomenal that like the cultural stuff in it is phenomenal and they did a whole podcast on something's got to give it wasn't a review but it was just like a like a bit of a, da- a deep dive into it. i hate that term i'm sorry that i don't have the vocab today to be able to use a better word they were basically talking about it and kind of like the cultural difference now and then and part of that was like they were talking about the fact that it was like so classically a nancy myers film based off of the interiors and the cashmere and the outfits and the the white jumper with the jeans and like part of the film they joke about one of the characters always wearing like a cashmere long sleeve jumper even in like the height of summer in um in america or in la or whatever and i'd seen also a tiktok that or a reel that was basically like somebody doing a tour and i think you might have sent me it a tour around like an empty really shit looking apartment in new york and they were like give me a sec and then they like swiped and it was like literally like a house looked like a nancy myers set in in an apartment in new york and i realized from all of these sources that if you want to emulate a nancy myers home at home you need to go for non-trend led accessories like Mm. lampshades or frames or rugs you need to have stripes in every room some kind of stripe a striped rug, a striped wall, a striped lampshade, a striped curtain, some sort of stripe. You also need to try and stick within like maybe three, maximum four colors. And by colors, I mean shades, black, pale blue, navy blue, white. (laughs) Try not to go too many colors. Then also dark wood only. Oh, yes. Should just be a rule anyway. Yeah, true. I say looking at a white bedside table. I'm all about dark wood. That was a big thing when me and uh, my husband yeah. moved in together. It was like I had to fight for the dark wood. Dark wood or nothing. Agree. Great, great battle. Well fought, well won. Deserved. <laughs> Thank you. Thank then you. second to last, but still not least, organized mess. Tidy trinkets, little bits and bobs. They're not doing anything, but they look yeah. cute. They are a requirement. And last but not least, at least four lamps in every room. Classic, classic lampshade. Yeah. Google Nancy Myers interiors right now and tell me there are not four lamps in every single photo. It's not even that I'm questioning that. I'm like, yeah, I'm making notes of like, great, I'm going to implement all of this. You're about to say, I don't even have space for four lamps. Put them on the wall. Buy a table just for a lamp. Yeah. Get a lamp that doesn't have a wire that can move around. A A battery powered lamp. lamp. Yes. Good idea. It's a phenomenon. No big lights here. So anyway, she didn't want me to do that. And I'm so sorry, Nancy. I'm going to back up everything that you've ever said. Listen, she, but the thing is though, is like, obviously I appreciate that maybe she feels like she's not being valued in the ways that she would like to be. However, she's forged an iconic look. And I think that is a testament to her, her direction. You can look at, stills from her films and know it is uniquely hers yeah. in the same way that you'd be able to look at other iconic directors and be like like you know like Wes Anderson yeah I'm sure Wes Anderson to be honest I think he should hate the whole Wes Anderson meme thing because so many people do it wrong oh it anyway. is annoying yeah you get annoyed <laughs> when a meme is done wrong fair play <laughs> I'm gonna have to continue the conversation about Nancy Myers I'm so sorry 
But it's worth it, I promise. Give me like five minutes and I'll be done. Okay. The podcast that I listened to was called Talking Pictures. Have you ever heard of it? It's a film podcast. No, I have not. Brilliantly produced, like really good podcast. And it came out on Tuesday and he is interviewing Nancy Myers, famous film director of whom we've been speaking about for the past year on this podcast episode. I came across it because, Abby, you'd sent me the article about the parent trap. I, a few days earlier, had just listened to Something's Gotta Give on the Financial Times podcast. Then I wanted to speak about Nancy Myers and how I feel like I have no personality because all I've done is consume Nancy Myers in the last week. And I've realized that so much of, I think, what I aspire to in my life is genuinely off the back of a Nancy Myers film. And I know I've joked about it, but I truly think it is. And I, one thing that I never really realized and I'll go on to the interiors thing in a second, is that in every single one of her films, there is always an incredibly successful woman who we see with amazing houses, amazing careers, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I've realized that I remember one Sunday evening watching The Intern with my mom and dad, which is Robert De Niro and Sandra Bullock. And I think it's Sandra Bullock. I could be wrong. And it's a brilliant film, but I didn't know it was one of hers. And at this time, I also had not realized that my personality is Nancy Myers. So... Watched it, loved it, then found out that that she had directed the entire film and was like, well, that makes sense as to why I loved it so much. And then it took somebody else to point out to me like this was a really good film and she's a really good director, but there is always this character. Mm. And I truly feel like a lot of, even I suppose from an interior's point of view, but also just from like who I think is cool in a film because films carry stereotypes, whether you like it or not, the good ones and the bad ones. And I think I've seen so many stereotypes in films I love the most, which all are by her that have like really impacted me. And I think sometimes you don't even realize that that happens, whether it's books, podcasts, TV shows, films, whoever it might be, they're able to ingrain themselves into you as a person and you as a character so well. And I think that can be a really good thing, but it can also be a really bad thing depending on what it is that you're consuming. So anyway, when I'd gone to type in Nancy Myers ahead of recording this podcast, my Spotify threw up probably the most golden thing I've ever come across in my entire life. It was a playlist. Second best to my playlist I shared on Instagram that was like Christmas songs that aren't actually Christmas songs <laughs> what Spotify gave me this morning was breakfast in a Nancy Myers kitchen the best that, playlist yeah. I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life because all the music in the films are also fucking great just putting that out there so then anyway I found this interview with talking pictures alongside all of these amazing playlists and basically in it she's talking about how she hates that she's become the spokesperson for this like style of interiors that she just like she would watch films and be like oh I like that everybody's got their own style with that kind of thing she's put it in her films and now she's getting really frustrated because everybody's talking about the interiors and not about like her skills as a director which I think is completely fair but then Netflix offered her 130 million pounds or dollars or whatever to go and make another film, which was starring Penelope Cruz, Owen Wilson, and it was called Paramount Paris. I actually think Warner Brothers have just taken it over now and and perhaps they'll be doing it because basically Nancy asked for it to be 150 million and they said no. So she was like, yeah, I'm not doing it then, bye. And I was like, yes, Queen, go off. But also somebody please make that film. I need another Nancy film. 
What is the last film that Nancy Myers made? It was The Intern, I think. Me and Dan watched that and it is the lowest stakes film ever with absolutely zero conflict, which Dan didn't take too kindly to, but it's like not everything has to have like a tense moment and that's what she's so good at. Like it doesn't have to be high stakes to be worth your time and watching. Yeah, exactly. I absolutely love it. Well, I hope they do make it. Yeah. I'm sure they will. Yeah, I hope so. So I think, I mean, it's not always about whether they want to, it's about whether they actually can. Like the other thing with her is that she'd actually retired and then this Netflix deal came through and she was like, yes, okay, I'll write another film. And she was like, it's set in Paris, but I'm not leaving LA. Like if you want me to make it, she was saying that the last film that she was in New York for nine months and she was like, I've got a family. Like I don't want to be away from them for that long. And so if anybody wants me to make a film, I'm making it from LA which makes it more expensive. And apparently the UK have a really, really good reputation for that in the film industry. I don't know much about it, but apparently we're really good for being able to produce films that are shot here. But I mean, Barbie, for example, a lot of that yeah, was shot yeah. in the UK. Anyway, mm. it was Barbie land, but hey ho. Yeah, <laughs> not Paris. A completely fictional place that I wish was real. <laughs> <laughs> so as we're getting to awards and stuff this is such a fun and brilliant time for film and the latest film that I watched even though as the BAFTAs nominations have been announced today this film is not going to get that many nominations however it's still brilliant and it's May December which you saw ages ago yeah yeah if you've got an American Express card you can get early access tickets I suppose Mm. it's very similar to O2 priority really and you can get early access tickets to the I want to say it's the British Film Festival I could be completely wrong or the London Film Festival Chicken Run was there I wanted to see that May December (laughs) was there potentially Oppenheimer maybe that had already been out and there was another one that my boyfriend Paul went to go and see and he um he loved it he goes every year and nice the first year that I went, he got us tickets for this May-December, which was the only ma- tickets he managed to get for us to both go, even though I wanted to go to see Chicken Run. And <laughs> <laughs> we got May-December, which was brilliant. I was going to say, I didn't really rate the second Chicken Run, which is sad. But May-December oh. was amazing. When the trailer first came out, because it was in the US, it's been distributed by Netflix. And so the trailer is like a Netflix trailer. So I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. I've already got Netflix. And then in the UK, it was actually distributed by Sky. And I didn't have Sky and I was like, I can't wait anymore. So I've got Sky movies for the next six months because I couldn't (laughs) wait. And so May, December, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's a film that is very, very loosely based on a real life couple of this woman. She was a teacher called Mary Kay Letourneau and she had a sexual relationship with a sixth grade student so a 13 year old and she was 34 this was a real life story obviously makes you feel sick the film version is julianne moore is playing the teacher and it's like 20 years after this scandal after her prison time um the they are still together so she's in her like 50s and he the her partner played by charles melton is like 35, 36. He's got like kids that are about to go to college. Like he's absolutely not old enough for that. And then Natalie Portman's character is portraying Julianne Moore's character in a film. It's quite meta. And basically she's spending time with them to research the person and the story in order to give a very faithful 
and true representation and performance. It is an absolutely like campy melodrama. Like I wasn't expecting it to be so camp when I put it on, but literally within like the first scene, there's a bit where Julianne Moore, her character has like a really extreme lisp. Every time there's kind of a reveal, there's this like piano music (laughs) and it's so intense. And basically she opens the fridge door. It zooms in with this really intense piano music and she goes, I think we need more hot dogs or something like that. (laughs) I think we're going to need more sausages. (laughs) And it's literally like, I wasn't expecting it at all. No, I was really confused by what the film was going to be. Bearing in mind that Mm. the film hadn't actually released yet when I'd seen it. So I couldn't take anybody else's opinion for it. This is where opinions were being formed in this room. (laughs) Yeah, And I was just there like, Paul, what kind of film is this again? (laughs) Is this a thriller or a horror or like a comedy? It was so conflicting in my brain but brilliant it really really was but it is a phenomenal film and the fact that it's already being shot out of award shows is despicable but again it's a really really tough year ultimately this is a horror film i think true because charles melton his performance i'd only ever known him from riverdale as most people had what a fucking actor i know absolutely incredible because he manages to capture that he got into this relationship when he was like 13 and he is still that 13 year old boy trapped in this fucking ridiculous relationship quote unquote by his predator yeah and he's never not had time to like grow or even actually understand and process what happened because he's married to his predator yeah. is absolutely vile. I think that's the thing because one thing that I think is important to give context of if you've not seen the film, when you're watching the film, you're not made to feel as though you're watching a predator. When you're watching the film, you don't have any context about, all you know is that Natalie Portman is an actress and she's going to be playing a character and she is going to that character's house to understand more about the relationship and that character she's going to play. Mm. But you don't know what the end film is going to be. Like you kind of know, is it is it a biopic? Is that the word? I'm not sure. Yeah. But like, you don't know what the film's going to be about. You're going in completely blind. Yeah. But what you also don't know is, is a huge amount, like you're having to pick up a lot as you go with the storyline. So you actually see throughout the film, like Joe acting his age, mm. which makes sense. But because he's got like, two or three kids or something and he's married to like a 60 year old woman it's like the responsibilities are so much older than him and because Mm. of this relationship that he kind of insists is consensual and that he wants to be in doesn't fit where he currently is in his life I don't quite have the vocabulary to explain how I felt watching it with that in mind but I remember just thinking like they're not giving anything away Like you are watching that film, making your whole opinion yourself. And maybe it was the nature of me kind of not having read any reviews beforehand, but also you're you're having to kind of decide for yourself what you think is acceptable and not and choosing which side you're on. And then Mm. you get to the end of the film and you're very much like, obviously, I know which side I'm on. But you don't start the film thinking that. You start the film thinking that you're just watching a couple and a woman go to the house and it's creepy as fuck. Well, it is. And I think, to be honest, I think as soon as you know, understand how they got together, it's just bleh. But then I think the other side of it, relationship aside, you have Natalie Portman coming in, claiming she wants to give truth to this character 
And then by the end of it, they show what the film is like and it's absolutely like exploitative trash. Like it was uh, like she, and she was getting pleasure out of it. It's a really great film because one of those where the dialogue means something completely different. There was so much like subtext because she was saying that she's like, I'm interested in the gray areas. Like that's what's interesting to me. And it's like, no, you're making this like erotic trash because you're like a, I thought at first it was like a, someone who of Natalie Portman's fame. Yes. She was she wasn't. She was like more of like a cable T like someone who's been on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Essentially. It was like a real like what I would call like iridescent type like a BC list celebrity. Sorry to like yeah. dumb down what you're just saying. No, <laughs> no, but it's kind of like it was just like bright colours, bad wigs, awful makeup, terrible acting in the yeah. film that Natalie Portman was doing at the end, what she was making. Because it was like a made for TV movie. It, yeah. yeah. And it was complete trash. Yeah. Film. Awful from Natalie's point of view, but I was the same as you. I was expecting to see like Natalie Portman play a really like deep character with like yeah. this beautifully shot. And it was like just a film at the end was just awful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A message this film intended to portray and put across, I think, is that we really need to consider seriously when something is about real people. Yeah. Especially when those people have nothing to do with it. And the irony that this is obviously very loosely based off a real couple, like it's not about them. It's not a true story about them. I think it was just kind of the subject matter. So there's a new film that will be coming out about Amy Winehouse. Oh, yes. And that's an example of where a lot of people are like, can we not let this woman rest? Because a lot of what that's going to do is bring up the really dark days because that's what's going to win the Oscar and win all the yes and sell and that's what people are going to be interested in think about all the portrayals of bloody princess Diana yeah like there's an obsession in that like seediness and digging up people's like darkest fucking moments yeah and that's what like May December was about Charles Melton as Joe he was the true victim in all of that oh my god yeah including in the relating not i'm not saying that wasn't obvious but he was the victim in like as the couple but then also he's the victim of this film yeah that they were making and i think that when we are consuming content about real people celebrity or not you need to take it with an absolute bucket of salt and think about it critically as well you know the elton john film rocket man yeah that film was so good because Elton was alive and he, as is he, he is now, <laughs> he worked on it and he could give it his blessing and it showed the bad as well as the good. And I felt like it was a really yeah. respectful take of his life. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That for me is what May December was like really, really about. It was about let's question all of these adaptations of sex scandals and bloody drugs and the dark side of celebrity lives or like people's lives and let's not glamorize it because that's all that's what we're doing for our own entertainment. And I think they did an amazing job of that film. And if you haven't seen it and you're not put off by all the spoilers, then still watch it because it's so weird. I think that's a really interesting point and something that I'd not actually really considered when I watched the film. I'm very much the kind of person that will watch a film and then after somebody's told me how to think and feel about it, I'll be like, oh yeah, (laughs) it looked nice. The interiors were good. The interiors were great. 
<laughs> oh no. dear. Well, I mean, we've gone very film heavy this week. I did have some we other have. things I want to talk about, but we can save them. They're very evergreen. We'll save them for next week. So thank you as always for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Let us know your thoughts. Please, if you are enjoying this podcast, can you please, it would be really sweet if you could rate us on Apple and Spotify. It really helps us get up those male-dominated charts. <laughs> they most certainly do. Yeah, it, it really would mean a lot if you could share it. I know there's been so many people who have already supported us. So a huge thank you to, to all of you. Um, and for listening and reviewing if you already have yeah we'll be back next Tuesday and this podcast has been produced by Astro Productions the podcast network that puts women first and at the top of the goddamn charts (laughs) (laughs) hell yeah the executive producers are Abby Gibson and Charlie Perry editing by Abby Gibson and Adam Briffer video editing by Lauren Howie and production coordination by Molly Sainty of course Uh, you can get in touch and send us a lovely love letter and win a glass set voucher if you head to the link in the show notes see you next week bye